This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. It's Mark Madden on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I'm joined now by Tim Benz. And Tim, we have a very serious subject to talk about. Should Kenny Pickett have made the Pro Bowl ahead of (laughs) Tyler Huntley? And given that they were actually choosing between those two for the Pro Bowl, should they just cancel the Pro Bowl? Yes and yes. I think the answer to both questions is yes. He should have made it in front of Tyler Huntley. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks where I would have said Kenny Pickett should have been the Pro Bowl guy in front of him, but Tyler Huntley, yes. And I also believe that if you've gotten that far, you should just cancel the game or whatever vestige of the game remains in whatever form it is. Flag football, tug-of-war, water balloons, egg toss, Although eggs are really expensive. I don't even know if football players can afford eggs anymore. What's that slap thing? Oh, this, the uh, Dana White sport where you yeah, just slap. Power slap. Is that yes. what it's called? Oh, can you yeah. imagine NFL players power slapping? I would watch the Pro Bowl if it were power slap. But for flag football and some lame skills competition, I'm not interested in. And, and, and you're right. When you go so far down the quarterback list, you're talking about Huntley or Pickett. It shows how many people pointedly don't want to play. How many people have found a way to not participate. But, Tim, that has not stopped Steeler fans from getting mega upset because Pickett was snubbed. His stats are just horrible. They're down near the bottom of every category in the NFL, and yet they are mad because he's not in the Pro Bowl, a flag football game. It's sheer insanity. If it is a flag football game and Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator, do you still think he'd throw everything short of the sticks? Run after catch is pretty big in flag football, Mark. If Canada was the offensive coordinator for the flag football game, then I would watch it. Just <laughs> just, just to see what might transpire and how mad we should be after the fact. But but if there's no picket, there's no point in having Canada there. Uh, staying with the quarterback conversation, Tim, is Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback of all time? Because people like Colin Coward are already saying that. But I think it's a bit early for that kind of talk. So do I, especially since, rightly or wrongly, quarterback win totals, quarterback postseason performance weighs so heavily in terms of analysis and comps. Um, he's got a long way to go to get to Brady. He's got a long way to go to get to Montana still. I'd put those guys in front of him. I think where you might want to have more of the conversation is he the most talented quarterback of all time. Like You could get in that conversation and then comp him to the likes of Dan Marino, you know, like Dan Marino's a guy. Yeah, I don't know why we always have to talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It's the conversation in every sport during every offseason, too often during the seasons. 
And I can see where people might feel Mahomes can be the GOAT, you know, even now. But he's not going to win seven Super Bowls like Tom Brady did. So in 10 or 15 years, the conversation invariably will swing back to Tom Brady. Sure it will, because we always reduce everything when it comes to these comparables to great players to championships won because and there's so much more to it than that like Dan Marino is one of the top three quarterbacks ever but he never won a Super Bowl so he's far too easily dismissed and I think because of the era too in which he played sometimes he gets lost in that conversation because he didn't have to move like you know back then quarterbacks that move were even more few and far between than they are now they dropped back and they threw and they nobody did that better than Marino passing. yeah nobody did that better than Marino now Mahomes is sort of like a hybrid of the two, where he can move to throw, he can move to get away, he can move to extend plays. Like, he's funny in so far as, like, when he moves to extend plays, a lot of times when you saw some of these great scrambling quarterbacks, they'd move around, they'd shed tacklers. But Ben was like this. When Ben would shed tacklers, like, he'd throw on the run and hit a, hit a bomb. A lot of times... Mahomes will do that and then just hit a crossing pattern, whether it's Tyree Kill or Juju or, or whoever it is. He'll still just manage to get a guy coming back to him, and then there's run after the catch. Kelsey, he'll Kelsey like that a lot. Yeah, but but I, I will say that Mahomes does all that stuff very intelligently. I mean, he doesn't just wing it. He needs to be you know, thinking a step ahead when he starts to improvise, if that makes any sense. He, he turns improvisation into precision, uh, very handily, and I give him a lot of credit because he had a big year of the year that Tyree Kill left. Uh, without so much chunk play capability, he still got so much done. And a lot of credit there to Andy Reid as well for adjusting to keeping that big play offense, big play, even without Tyree Kill. What you said about Mahomes got me thinking. I've, I've thought about this analogy, too, when I watch him, similar to what you said. His scrambling ability sets things up one move in advance, like you were talking. He moves within the pocket, kind of like Barry Sanders did beyond the line of scrimmage. Like Barry Sanders would cut one move ahead, one defender ahead. Mahomes does the same thing. He just doesn't break the line of scrimmage all that much. Now, Mahomes played uh, great and clutch to beat Cincinnati, full credit. But the sprained ankle... uh, uh, sidebar got way too much play. It's not like he lost the leg. A lot of guys play with a sprained ankle. I felt like that was going to be the reason or the talking point after the game, regardless of how the game went. Except the officiating took over. Right, but like my thinking was going into the game that if they lose, the presumption will be, well, it was just because Patrick Mahomes' ankle wasn't all that great. And then if they win, it was going to be, well, Patrick Mahomes overcame nearly the loss of a limb to get to victory. Like, all week long, he kept saying, my ankle's not so bad. And we just didn't want to believe him because we were going to write that oh, story no, we, anyway. we wanted him to be Willis Reed. Yes. You know, coming out the tunnel for the Knicks, and it was nothing like that. Uh, did it mean a lot for him to finally beat Joe Burrow? Did Mahomes need that? Because if he's 0-4 against Burrow, I think that go talk gets smothered uh, at least temporarily. Yeah, I think there was some of that there. I'm trying to think of another good example. Especially with Burrow being so good, too. Right. I'm trying to think of another example, maybe having a little struggle coming up with one, but a quarterback or a great hockey player, a great basketball player. You know, Maybe it was sort of like... Um, well, Marty, Chamber- Br- Marty Brodeur couldn't stop Alexei Morozov. That, <laughs> but, but that's not, that's not all-time that's great That's a little bit of an insult to Joe Burrow. All-time great, that's just funny. No, I think uh, maybe the better analogy is, um, you know, like Will Chamberlain had problem getting over on Bill Russell for a while. Yeah, but but back then, 
Wilt was the best player in the league. The Celtics had numbers two through eight. So, you know, it, that was unfair to Wilt, but I, but I feel you. And, and maybe the bigger... Uh, like team wide thing was, you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers were great. They could just never beat the New York Yankees. You could know? never win the World Series, period, yeah. right? But yeah, it was most often the Yankees in their way. Now, the Super Bowl is a great quarterback matchup Mahomes versus Hurts. Two guys who were similar but different. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I think that, you know, Mahomes is a little bit more nimble the way he moves around. I think Hurts looks to run more like Allen does, if anything. Um, and especially I think that'll be the case in this game. I look at the Super Bowl, and I see a two-point line in favor of the Eagles, and I kick myself for not getting in on it right away when I saw them as a point-and-a-half dog. Yeah, uh, do the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about the middle last week. The potential was there this week. I don't. Think I, I didn't act either. A Super Bowl has never ended, I believe, in a pick going into the game. I read that somewhere going into this. Well, that's not what's best for business. I mean, that, yeah. that's why. I think this game really feels like a pick I mean, just, you know... In terms of who's going to win, who's going to lose, I I kind of like Philly, but I, I I would find it hard to bet against Mahomes. The variable to me is the defensive line of the Eagles. I think even if Mahomes is at eighty percent or eighty five percent, if he's better than what he was, but still not one hundred percent, I think that the Eagles will will exploit that. I don't think that Kansas City's offensive line is great, but I think it's better than the Bengals. And I made up my mind. Uh, midway through the first quarter, after watching Burrow get eaten alive by the Kansas City front, that I was going to take the Eagles in the Super Bowl, regardless of who won the AFC game, because I just see that that Philadelphia front getting after whichever quarterback it is. I I don't know if Burrow would have made it through the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I think Philadelphia has superiority in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and inevitably I I think that is going to add up. They've not had the hardest path to the Super Bowl, via their regular season schedule and who they played in the playoffs, but that doesn't detract at all by how great they are. Now, does all the Mahomes as the GOAT talk put pressure on Tom Brady at uh, his age, 45, to find the right spot and have one more big year and maybe get number eight? You think he hears it? You know he hears it, and he's an egomaniac. The latter part of that... I lean towards, you know, I, I don't know if he's driven because he feels threatened that his GOAT status historically needs one more Super Bowl, but I think he wants to get over on the talk that there are other guys who are better than him now. I think that might be the bigger talking point as to why he might be motivated to come back based on what's happening in the current state of NFL quarterbacking. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that the torch is being passed uh, from Rodgers and Brady to guys like Mahomes and Burrow and Josh Allen, except if it were up to Brady and Rodgers, they'd have the torch super glued to their hands. Well, I think Brady should probably stockpile as many Super Bowls as he can before he retires, because obviously Kenny Pickett is coming. I mean, first the Pro Bowl, next the world. Speaking of Kenny Pickett, Tim, uh, can Kenny Pickett ever beat Joe Burrow? They're in the same division. Somebody called my show and said, that the Steelers are going to finish behind the Bengals for the next 10 or 12 years, and that's hard to argue. I want him to be Brock Purdy. Give me the San Francisco 49er offense before you give me pie in the sky about him becoming Joe Burrow. I look at Joe Burrow and I see that's a less attainable goal for Pickett than being what Purdy or Jimmy Garoppolo has been recently 
in an offensive system like the 49ers. That's what I want. That's what I desire. Because I think he, I think if you look at that San Francisco 49er offense, you put Kenny Pickett in there, that's an even better team in San Francisco. Maybe they beat the Eagles. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I just hesitate. Every time I look at Pickett's stats, I just, they don't lie. And he may get better. And, and I wonder too, Tim, could Kenny Pickett ever be better than the fourth best quarterback in the AFC North? And that's if Lamar stays in Baltimore. Big if. I don't think he can be more than the third best quarterback. Let's see how Watson is with a year under his belt again. You do realize that if you pitch to anybody outside of Pittsburgh that Kenny Pickett can be better than Deshaun Watson, they would laugh at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying I want to see what he's like coming back next year. There were a lot of faults to his game with all the rust still on it. Like, I don't think he saw pressure or felt the pocket at all. You know what he needs, Tim? To watch film. <laughs> uh, what kind of film? Moving moving on to more important stuff. Did you see the TV commercial uh, during the championship games for Cocaine Bear? I did, yes. Uh, I'm a little confused now. Is it one bear or are there multiple bears? No, no, it's one bear. It's just one bear the whole time. It's one bear doing the job of many. He seems to have multiple personalities. That might be because of the cocaine. I'm pretty sure it is because of the cocaine. It's the inspiration for the movie, uh, after all, are you, you going to watch it? You got to watch. Oh, it, right? I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch Oppenheimer. I'm going to watch. Oh, the, the one about the uh, atomic bomb. Yes, because uh, you know we've not seen enough movies where Nazis are the bad guys. We need just one more because that's the, they're the old, sharks and Nazis. This is an old Steven Spielberg uh, standby, Mark. You could always make them back at bad guys, sharks and Nazis. Well, uh, I was talking on my show about The Exorcist the other day. Uh huh. Have you seen it? I saw the original. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they've not remade it because that is one movie that would be Wait, impossible. They no, I don't think they they did sequels. Oh, I but, thought they remade but, it. Okay, oh, no, right. it would be impossible to do. It's the scariest movie in history because you can imagine it happening. Like with Jaws just out of the water, no big deal. They're not going to come up on land. The, the sharks can't, you know, walk. But The Exorcist, I saw it once uh, when I was in high school. And then again, like when I was 30-something, I will never watch it again. It literally keeps me up at night for nights afterwards. Not just one night, but for several. I get scared by movies more via the visual imagery than I do the storyline. Like, The Shining freaked me out. That's one of the few movies that ever scared me, but it was more the visual imagery. Like, this isn't a horror movie, but Clockwork Orange haunts me more than a lot of horror movies do. Yeah, a Clockwork Orange was a disturbing movie. Yes. Maybe that's the best way to put it, but I, I can't wait for Cocaine Bear. I, I was disappointed to, to find out, though, Tim, the movie opens on Friday, February 24th. But they always have screenings Thursday, you know, in this case, Thursday the 23rd, the night before. That's the unofficial opening. The Penguins host McJesus that night. Oh. <laughs> I got to go to the Penguins and McJesus unless I think, unless I think I can make it from uh, PPG Paints Arena for the 10.30 p.m. screening. But that's all the way out McKnight Road. I don't think I can. We well, might need some cocaine to get out there. Well, I'm just going to go in the 24th and play it safe, Friday the 24th. <laughs> but I, I cannot wait. Um. Do you feel like at this point in your life you watch too much TV? I do, for sure. But at 62, maybe that's the path I should be traveling. I feel like I should be watching more. I think I work too much, and when I do watch, I watch too much sports. I'd like to watch more things that people like. For instance, everybody keeps talking about this The Last of Us show, right? It's getting all sorts of critical buzz. Everybody says it's the greatest show going. I'm just catching up on The Wire 
I'm in season Me two too. of The Wire. Me too. I'm in the last season of The Wire right now. Does season two get better? I'm kind of dragging through this whole thing with the I, I, union I got, guys I gotta and the i got to be docs. honest. I'm like about seven episodes away from being done. And I've been majorly, not majorly, but I'm disappointed considering the praise it got. The difference between there the are a lot of characters in the wire that just aren't compelling. They're 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 zero to them. Like like Omar, everybody loves Omar. If the whole series was about Omar, it'd be better. But then there's too much Omar, and then you can do the whole series around him, right? But just do three seasons instead of what was it five? I thought it was six actually. Whatever it is, I'm on the last one, and happy about that. Uh, I, think I agree with you, by the way. I think the biggest difference between like The Wire and Breaking Bad is the characters are so much better in Breaking Bad, it turned into better television. Yeah, like McNulty in The Wire, he's too often a cartoon character. The drunk who cheats on drunk his wife. Drunk Irish Guess cop. what? He's drunk and he's cheating on his wife. Again? I mean, give me a break. I'm with you on that. I, I think, but to your greater question, there are so many shows that I feel like I missed out on the past. I'm playing catch-up, and then there's 10 new shows because of streaming platforms and how everything is introduced. Like The White Lotus? i got to see The White Lotus, too. Everybody says i got to see that. Yeah, I'm not going to watch The White Lotus. I'm not going to watch The Last of Us. I still haven't started 1923. I still haven't started uh, Tulsa King. I still haven't started second season of The Mayor of Kingstown. I'm just, I am up to episode six of that 90s show. Well, I do have to watch Man in the High Castle before it actually happens in real life. <laughs> well, you better hurry. Um, yeah, I, I'm finally up to where Kelso's son kisses Eric's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only imagine how that's going to go. Now, wait a minute. So, from what you've told me, the, the critical response to this has been kind of iffy, but fans of that 70s show really like that. As 90- a fan of that 70s show, I like it. I see the connection every single uh, minute. Are uh, they missing on sort of the 90s nostalgia? Then? No, they're, not- they're hitting home runs with the 90s oh, nostalgia. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm a little surprised Everything. then. Like, even the update of the theme song, they made it like a 90s punky type feel. Okay. You know, they're, they're, it, it, they're doing a great job. I mean, some of it comes off as cartoony, like, like Bob Pinciotti. Came, uh, he showed up for uh, Leia's. That that's the daughter. Yeah, for her fifteenth like birthday Leia, right? party. Right, right, and uh, and you know he was very cartoony. But I mean, wasn't he cartoony in the first sure place? He was. Yeah, yeah, he was. So I mean, like that's just consistency. That's all. Uh, I, this is a spoiler. You know what? Uh, Red gives uh, Leia for her fifteenth birthday a lightsaber. No, the uh, Vista Cruiser. <laughs> they still have the Vista Cruiser, and he's going to teach her how to drive on it. Get did, the learner's permit. Did he come on your show? Yes, he was great. How what, he was good? Oh, I was so happy. Very little makes me happier than than, than that uh, 90s show. Now, let's go, let's move to unhappy. What's your take on Joseph Asai? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. On him blowing the Super Bowl for Cincinnati, and then he cries, and everybody's supposed to feel sorry, and that, that big that big Jamoke was standing guard over him BJ when he talked Hill. to the media, and the media, what was the media supposed to do? Well, what it was bothering what, me was is- Was the media supposed to hug him and say, oh, you tried hard, no big deal? Yes, other media will tell you that's what you're supposed to do now. He blew the Super Bowl. I can't get over the amount of media members who are applauding B.J. Hill. Like, I can see myself in that situation in a locker room- and having like you know this three hundred and fifty pound guy trying to intimidate you while you're asking questions, and then seeing other media members that I'm with saying, "Yeah, good job out of him," that would piss me off. It does piss me off. Nobody's ever done that to me, Tim. And I got to be honest, I don't know for sure what I'd do, but I would like to be tested. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's there have been other times where I've 
tried to interview players and players have chirped in my ear while I'm asking them tough questions. Landry Jones did that to me when Michael Vick first showed up with the Steelers. But like, what, Landry Jones was going to intimidate me? Come on. So like, I just kept asking. But I couldn't get over the amount of people, and I saw you interact with some of them online last night on Twitter, that are like, yeah, what a great job by that teammate. It's not his job as a teammate. Well, well the one girl was Katie Goss, who's actually the daughter of a childhood friend of mine, Larry Goss, who was a great hockey player from Pittsburgh. But she works for the Colorado Avalanche. She's not in the media. That's not her sandbox. She's a she's a PR person posing as media within the context of the team. And that's, that's the not problem. an insult, but that's just what she is. And and as such, she should have no input on this. It's like I said, not her sandbox. Not only that, Mark, but it's also the blurred lines that people outside of our business don't understand. Like they'll see uh team reporters put stuff out there and think that they're breaking news. No, they're not. They're basically rewriting press releases when the team tells them it's okay to do it. I don't like the notion that we're supposed to feel sorry for Osai. He blew it. He has to own it. And no matter, you know, BJ Hill standing there or not, this isn't going away for him. This will follow him for a long time. And it might have been better had he addressed it more candidly right away. Uh, I don't think he did it. You thought he did a bad job? I I thought he answered everything as well as could be answer yeah i i suppose so i suppose so i, I don't I think, think you, how, how i don't think you do yourself favors crying right i mean but you know i, I think he just or, or in this case given the response maybe he did maybe the other thing about it was i don't know how old he is how long he's been around uh, he's also, only 22 okay yeah maybe a guy who feels like he has some more traction would have said to bj hill hey i got this because for as much as B.J. Hill came off looking great as a teammate, it also made the other kid look soft like he couldn't handle That's it right. himself. That's right, and B.J. Hill was just trying to get himself over. Sure he was. Let's he was trying honest. to pose, yeah. You know, it, it's like when, you know, and Damian Cox, the hockey writer from Toronto, was saying that the NHL let Provorov get away with not wearing the, the pride jersey. Now, you know, the Rangers didn't either. What was the NHL supposed to do with Provorov? You know, suspend him? Scratch him? Kill him? I mean, deport him. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Well, a lot of the hostility towards Provorov is anti-Russian sentiment because of the war. No question. Yeah, and isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic that everybody who's saying that Provorov had to wear this jersey? This goes back to the uh, the Radic thing, the EJ Radic thing. Right. Just go back to Russia then. Oh, where they suppress free free speech? Is that what you're talking about? Back to Russia there. Those people. Uh, what's your take on Jermaine Pratt, the Bengal who was? I, I don't know if uh, Osai was in frame, if he could hear it, but he cut a promo. How can you hit the quarterback? It's the last series. Uh, boy, Tim, if you hold up a camera, sometimes the truth just pops out. And I wonder if that was him trying to get himself over a little bit, too, because he was agitated. and he, he He's looking at the camera, people, as he's walking by. He knows people are there. Oh, he knew. Both. He knew for sure. Yeah, and he could have grumbled at any other point, but... There was a reason why he did it in front of the cameras there. I just don't think it was smart. Getting back to what we talked about a moment ago with the line being blurred between PR and journalism, don't you feel journalism works best when it's an adversarial relationship? I think it's important to have that because if every athlete feels like the reporters are just there to paint a good story and never tell a bad one, then... That doesn't do anybody good in terms of being a reader or a listener. You know, if, if that's the, if that's the manifestation of what the relationship is supposed to be. So yeah, I think there has to be some sandpaper there. It's the it's the watered down version of covering politics, for instance. Like, you know, you, you don't want everybody to be buddy buddy with the mayor. Well, yeah, but but 
turn on Fox or CNN and you see why I'm right. Well, right, exactly. But And everybody just wants to hold the other side accountable, and then there's no accountability to doing that because you know they're not going for a real story. They're just being attack dogs on behalf of the other side. Uh, how bad was the friggin' officiating in the two conference championships, and did Cincinnati get screwed? Yeah, I thought Cincinnati got screwed. I think the the vast majority of too many important calls went against them. Well, especially like a machine gun of bad calls at the end. The uh, I, I thought the intentional grinding was very sketchy. I, I saw the block in the back that went uncalled, the hold that went uncalled, and then, of course, you have the late hit that did get called. I got to tell you, and, and this makes me a hypocrite because I say, whenever I talk about hockey, Tim, a hook is a hook. Whether the first minute of the first regular season game or overtime in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, I'm not sure I call that late hit. It was a late hit. I'm not sure I end the game that way. The late hit, I think they had to call because it was so egregious. But I'll give you an example about the hockey. I would have liked to have seen if it gets called if Mahomes only has one foot out of bounds. Say that again? I would have liked to have seen if the late hit gets called if Patrick Mahomes has only one foot out of bounds. I think it still would have because it's Mahomes, because he's on an ankle, and it's, it's it's in Kansas City. I think the fact that game was in Kansas City, you saw what home field advantage does in that situation. Oh, and, and the atmosphere is why they should never, you know, put those games at neutral sites. You'd never match that. Then again, maybe the calls are why they should. I'll give you something else in the hockey front, and I'm not a big guy when it comes to makeup calls. I'm not a big fan of that. And like you, a hook is a hook, a hold is a hold, a spear is a spear, whatever. Like, I'm with you on that. But I'll give you an example when a defensive holding shouldn't be a defensive holding. When it's on Eli Apple and it's the very next snap, after you screwed up the do-over and the Bengals bail you out with a sack on the very next play. Oh, the do-over was awful. Just don't throw the flag on Eli Apple and no one's talking about it. The do-over was awful. You know, but like, you know. Th- that's the first, right? There were two. That's what Gene Steratore said uh, on DVE today. There were two blatant. Yeah, but Gene with the, I mean, who knows? <laughs> There were two blatant holds on Patrick Mahomes' scramble. They didn't call those. So you don't have to call the hold on Eli Apple after you screwed up the do-over. Just let it slide. You give the sack to the Bengals. It's a forgotten-about play. And you know what? Karma works out sometimes. But they exacerbated it because they threw the flag on Apple and kept the drive alive. How much is the NFL office in New York watching the game in the official's ear? How much influence does New York have? Because I don't like that. I think any time a call gets changed by an unseen source, I think the players on the field, and especially the fans in the stands, are going to think something fishy's up. And the biggest problem with it is there's no mechanism for it. Like, I get it. I get their goal is to use expedited replay to expedite the game but their interference then interferes with the mechanism of triggering replay in the first place as we saw in the Devonte smith catch early in the game in the nfc championship game if they're gonna if coaches are just waiting for them now to interfere on their own that's going to influence whether they throw the challenge flag and risk a timeout on a 50 50 play and it should be noted it's not crooked it, there's so much money to be made doing it straight and so little extra to be made doing it crooked that, you know, they're not fixing anything. They're just effing up. They're just incompetent. Uh, but, uh, you see, I know you can't walk back from replay. You couldn't go back to the game being decided on the field. Just, you know, human error, human element, all those catchphrases we used for years mm-hmm. to try to keep replay out of it. Right. But, 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 uh, but I like that better. 
I've seen both now, and I like the old way better. And to underscore that point, aside from the NFC Championship game example that I just pointed out with Smith, all the debates that we just had, all those litany of calls that we just rattled through with the AFC Championship game, none of those are replayed calls anyway. They're just blown calls for other reasons. Well, it, like, it, like none, of, none of that comes under the, the auspices of a, of a challenge flag. We're talking about penalty calls and non-calls. Well, one thing I think we issues. shouldn't overlook, Tim, is the NFL doesn't give a crap. But I think they have to give a crap when after their conference championship games, the main topic is the officiating. The game has gotten so hard to officiate. There's 11 people on the field. The mechanism for the Which check, is too many people, by the way. It is. It's just, it's a... I, if it's you, an extra team. If you and it's already a cluttered field. Precisely. If you had it to do all over again to invent football, you'd make it seven on seven. You wouldn't make it eleven on eleven because of how many people you have to watch. And there's an extra team of officials who are out there. But you know, I think that if they were to try to put all of the view under Hawkeye or whatever they call that. You know, where they see all four at the same time in, in New York and have them officiate the game from there, they're still going to have the issues that we saw present with Torbert's crew in the AFC Championship game because somebody still has to blow a whistle, somebody still has to wind a clock. You still need the Zebras out there. How do you improve it? I mean, I, I hate the idea of having full-time officials. I mean, these guys work 25 days a year tops. They travel on each side of that day. So what do you do with the other, you know, 290 days? I mean, these guys should have lives. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I mean, how do you get better? Do you do you work out? Do you watch film? I mean, how many hours does that take in a day? I'd have younger officials that can keep up better, but then they're not as experienced. I I just think it is what it is. I think the speed and size of the game has permanently outgrown the officiating. I think that's fair, and, and I think. If you're looking at what things are being talked about this year, like, for instance, this Tony Pollard rule that everybody wants to implement now because of player safety. Like, this this pandering to player safety is just making the game right, 10 right. times... Don't tell me about player safety when you added a 17th game and you want to add an 18th, and you might add another playoff game. I mean, you know, have an 18th yeah. in, each, in each conference. Plus, I mean, that all got started because Tony Pollard got hurt, and everybody was thinking, oh, gee, what a shame... And then some nitwit who plays Australian rules football sends out a tweet that says, this is illegal in our league. They made it illegal a long time ago. They should make it illegal in the National Football League. And everybody just runs and retweets that because it looks like you care about the player safety wow. angle. So what? So now it turns into a thing where the NFL says, oh, we got to make it illegal now. Tim, I have a solution. I just basically don't watch very often. I like I watch the conference championships to be sure, but stuff like we're talking about the endless debate over crap like this, you know, and for that matter, the the outrage that Kenny Pickett's not in a flag football game, <laughs> I just don't want to watch. Uh, finally, Tim, what can you bet on this week? Uh, no NFL, no Penguins games. What do you got? Give me one bet. Uh, one bet that I'll give you is um, I got to check the line because I, I think Pitt's going to beat North Carolina. I think North Carolina is struggling, and I think Pitt is actually pretty decent. Well, I won't be watching that, but what is the line? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Somebody asked me on my show, when are you going to talk about Pitt basketball? I said I'm not. I'm just not interested. <laughs> well, I think they might make the tournament now. I think they will make the tournament. I'm just not interested. I, I just, you know, I so many hours in a day, Tim. Come on. No, I'm I'm with you. I'm just going to log back in here to find try to find it. Um, but if you look at... Do you think Capel's a good coach, or do you think this is like a one-year wonder made possible by him wisely manipulating the transfer portal. 
I think that's a big part of it because of the way recruiting see, works. See, out. I know pit basketball. I think because of the way that that could be said for lots of coaches. You can say the same thing about Jim Beheim who's going out soon, and, and it's the same sort of concept. Um, and you know what? At the time we're talking right now, they didn't. Even, that's why I couldn't find it. We're still 24 hours away from the line going. So no out. line. So, what yeah. do you think it'll be? Give me a. a rough I think rate. North Carolina will probably be about a six point favorite. Maybe if it's seven points, jump all over it. If it's more than two possessions, do you think Pitt's going to win outright? I think they'll cover. Well, there you go. That's the bet of the week, and the podcast is over. Thank you for listening to Mark Madden on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.